Thank you so much. What a powerful message of whom shall we be afraid. Friends, I'm Rick Lyman. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Christ Church. And I have the privilege this morning to share with you in God's holy word. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we read aloud together out of Luke's gospel, one of my favorite parables. Pastors aren't supposed to have favorite parts of scripture, I suppose, but this is such a profoundly and profound and timely parable for us today where we sit as a church and we sit as a church of Jesus Christ in the world. We're going to read this aloud together and then consider some thoughts from it together. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. I'm going to invite you to read along with me. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated as we join together in prayer one more time. Whenever we open the scriptures for our private reading of it or hear it preached, we do want to consult with and open our hearts to the one who authored these very words, the Lord himself. So let's open our hearts to him now in prayer. And also I invite you to pray for me as I share these words that God will enable me to speak his message in a way that is pleasing to him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus into this world for us and creating an amazing and wonderful place called heaven and a great banquet that you invite us to. God, we pray as we consider your words here today that we'll be motivated and strengthened in our faith, that we'll be enabled to see those in our world around us as you see them, and that we'll be charged with the responsibility that you give us in this parable to go out and let everybody know the great news of the gospel. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I suspect if you've been around these last weeks, you know we've been doing a series of preaching and teaching topics around the other six, what we do the other six days other than Saturday night or Sunday mornings as we gather here in church. We've considered a variety of different topics, including our stories, how important those are, and how that fits into God's bigger story, which is very, very important. We've talked about reconciling relationships closing those gaps in those relationships with people we have outside the church and also in our households so that we can better be witnesses for Jesus. We've also talked about how we minister to children and seeing them as Jesus saw them. But today we're culminating this series on the topic of invitation and how important it is to God's plan for us and for the people that we know. Invitations do come to us all the time. I'm suspecting you get plenty of those in your mailbox, many of which I get to invited to investment seminars on this, on that, or whatever else it is. Invitation to some, and most of those go from my mailbox right into my recycle bin. They never make it into the house. But once in a while, 
we get an invitation to something that we actually want to go to, like maybe the wedding of a dear friend or family member, a baby shower is a great time of celebration. Maybe a, you're invited to go to a concert of a great artist you like and have a backstage pass and you're all excited about that. And you say, of course, yes, I'll change my schedule so I can make that. Other times you might get invited to some things you're not so interested in. Maybe an invitation to have a chat with your friends at the IRS uh, in person. Maybe an invitation to a parent-teacher meeting about your children have been misbehaving. I can tell you that when I was a child, I wasn't really spiritual, you know my journey, but I did pray when my parents were called into those because I didn't know what those teachers were telling them about me, the mischievous one that I was. Or maybe you got an invitation to a destination wedding in Bora Bora that's going to cost you basically your annual salary just to be able to go to the wedding. Maybe you don't want to go that far. Well, many years back, my father, who was a businessman, had a lot of business colleagues and a lot of transactions. So one of the people he knew one year sent him an invitation, but it came in an unusual way. He received this big package about this big. He opened it up, and there was a Lucite box with an NFL football in it. I mean, that's a nice gift in itself, but also was a ticket to the 1980 Super Bowl in Los Angeles, where the, he was given first-class airline tickets to get there, first-class accommodations, he was also given a 50-yard line ticket to see the game. And also in there was an invitation that his date for the weekend was going to be actress Debbie Reynolds. Um, he didn't have to think too long about that one. He was excited to go. He didn't offer it to one of his colleagues. He certainly didn't offer it to me as a child. He, he found that quite interesting. An invitation I received many years ago, however, was not something I was so interested in. When I was a child, and we started over at St. Mary's School, and we went to the band day to introduce ourselves to the new school we were in, and the band director was having us pick up different instruments. And I made, I guess, the fortunate or unfortunate choice of picking up the oboe and playing it, and I could play it right away. So the director went nuts. Oh, you're a natural. My mother goes, you're a natural. You should play the oboe. I don't want to play the oboe. I want to play a coronet or play the drums. But anyway, I got the oboe. So after practicing a lot, and a lot of band practices was our first solo recital. I got the invitation from the band director, which I promptly buried. I did not show my parents, because I didn't want to go to an uh, oboe solo, though I practiced for hours and hours a day in my house. And I know it was at least good for one thing. It shed the house of any rodents, uh, any animals, or anything with ears basically fled from the house when I was practicing. So that was an invitation I avoided. But this parable shows us the passionate heart of this host, the owner of this house that hosted this banquet, which pictures the Father God. He, on his own initiative, at his own expense, prepares a huge and wonderful banquet for others to experience a joyous time of celebration. I want you to hold that image when we think about the gospel, when we think about what God is offering to people. He's offering them a joyous and wonderful experience. He does it at his own expense. Then he sends out a bunch of invitations long before the day of the event, as I'll come to in just a moment, a save the date kind of a thing. And then the day of the party, the food was now warm and hot, ready to go. He sends out his servant to go out and say, hey, come on in, the party is ready. But in Jesus' day, just so you know the background, when you were inviting someone to dinner, you told them the day but not the exact time because you didn't know and you need to know how many animals you're going to slaughter out of your flock or get from wherever you're going to get them and you're going to prepare the meal when it was just ready because they didn't have warming ovens and those sorts of things. They went out and told everybody. So the reality was here when this host of this party sent out his servant, all of these people had already RSVP'd and said, yes, they're going to be there. And that's why he prepared the amount of food that he had available. 
Unfortunately, all this first group of invited guests made excuses. They basically said, I've got something better to do than go to this particular gathering. First, they're going to talk, look at the three different categories of excuses. First, one had bought a field, and he has to go and see it. Well, first of all, these are all lame excuses, and all three of these are actually lies. Some of you bought a house in your lifetime or maybe a piece of property. How many of you bought it without looking at it first? Okay? No, he's got to go see this property he's just now bought. He's just finding any way to avoid the confrontation. The second person bought five yoke of oxen. In other words, this was his livelihood, and there's no way in the world he didn't inspect those animals to see their strength and their health before he invested a huge sum of money. That was a wealthy person to have that many oxen on that day. And he says, I'm going to go try them out, like test driving a car. Have you ever bought a used car without test driving it? I highly recommend you drive it first. He hadn't taken these out for a drive. Of course he had. And the third one says, I've just gotten married, so I can't come. Wrong. Jewish teaching taught them, and the Bible teaches, that when a person got married, they got an entire year off from work just to spend time with their spouse, just to be at home. He had nothing else to do. But he said no, because I think he might have been afraid of offending his wife or family or whatever else it was, but a pretty lame excuse. The first person, I believe, it was their possessions, that property. This was a wealthy person as well. They were more valuable to him, and in the context, to God's invitation. The second person, it was his job, his, his company to production of income was more important to him than church or God or anything of that nature. And thirdly, other relationships were interfering. Friends, as we engage in our friendships and our relationships, it's likely we're going to encounter people with the same exact kinds of, we'll call them excuses or reasons. When we try to share our faith and how great our church is and how great our God is and the great events, we're often getting the excuses. Maybe next time. Maybe I'll deal with spiritual things later in life. I'm busy now. I'm raising a family. I've got lots of activities. I'm involved in leadership and all these different things. I don't have time for God now. But what's amazing to me is how the host of this particular party, God himself, doesn't stop there. None of his initial guests that he prepared the meal for had been there. So he says, go out, let's invite more people. So he sends his servant out to bring in the helpless, the homeless, the blind, and the lame that couldn't make it there on their own, though they were glad to come. They couldn't get there. And he basically bussed them in or Ubered them in. He helped them get there. That second group, 100% of them said yes. Look at the contrast. Those that had the resources, those that were busy in activities, those that had better things to do, all said no, while those who were lowly, broken, hurting, crippled physically in some way, shape, or form, all said yes. And those are the very people Jesus had just said earlier in this passage that he came to save, to seek and save those that are broken and lost. It's amazing to me. But even at that, that wasn't enough. The servant came back and said, we've got all these people in here now, but there's still room. The master says, go out to the highways and byways and compel, urge people to come in because I want my house to be full. Look at the heart of this host because you're looking at the heart of God. Oftentimes, we maybe have tried to reach out to our family members or our friends or our colleagues, or work associates, whatever else it may be, and 
we meet with resistance. We meet with, ah, I got better stuff to do. Don't give up. Leave them alone. They're not ready to hear. Go to the next layer. Bring the invitation beyond them. God is saying through this parable to every single one of us, he wants his house full. He wants every seat in this place, I believe this with all my heart, filled with people entering into a relationship with him and participating ultimately in that great banquet. We're building and finished off a new worship auditorium. We'll seat roughly the same number of people as this space, more than a thousand in each space. And I'm one who's absolutely convinced every one of those seats, just like at this banquet, has someone's name on it in God's economy. And those someones are someones you know. They're people in your spheres of influence. And maybe they just don't know that there's a place for them. Maybe part of the resistance on some, because they think of church as being boring. I was one of those as a kid, I admit that. Or a place that's narrow and judgmental and critical, and thus they are afraid to come in. That's where we, as emissaries, ambassadors of this great king, have the opportunity to bridge that gap. Come on. Let's go do this together. Their trust in you, their, your relationship with them will be capital enough or equity enough to bring them here. But we must, must, must do the asking. God is still extending this exact kind of invitation until his house in heaven is full. That pictures, there's room for every single person on earth in heaven. It was God's original plan. He's not willing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. Heaven is big enough for everybody you know, everybody around this globe, whatever language they speak, whatever background they're from, heaven is big enough to receive them all, and there will be plenty to go around. So many people are making decisions based on less than full information. They don't think of God the way we do as a loving heavenly father. They see him in a different light, and we have the privilege of introducing them to new understanding Sometimes good things, owning a business, having a good job, being married and having family, those aren't bad things at all. The Bible would actually say those are blessings to, to have provision in that way. But when any of those things become more important to us than God, then we're settling for second best and missing out. Chuck Swindoll put it this way, salvation beckons us and forces us to make a decision, forces us to select. You have to choose between your busy world and eternal life. You may have to choose between the demands and needs of family at times and the offer of salvation. You have to choose between your yoke of oxen, whatever that may be for you or me, and Jesus' promise of eternal life. And we don't know if this may be our last day to make that choice for any of us. Sad to say, my friends, those that were terribly taken from this world suddenly yesterday thought they had much longer life to go. We need to keep them in our hearts and prayers. But suddenly, they were taken. We don't know. Today, my friends, is the day of salvation. It's a day of salvation for every single person that we know. Warren Wiersbe, who's one of my favorite authors, relays this account that this parable was the text of the very last sermon that D.L. Moody ever preached. He entitled it Excuses. It was preached in November 23rd, uh, 1899, just a few years back, in the Civic Auditorium in Kansas City. And Moody was very sick at the time he delivered this message. 
He said, but I must have souls in Kansas City, he told his students back here in Chicago. Never, never have I wanted so much to lead men and women to Christ as I do this time. There was a throbbing in his chest, and he had to hold the organ to keep from falling over as he preached. But he bravely preached the gospel, and 50 people came to Jesus because of that sermon. The next day, Moody left for home, and a month later, he died. Up to the very end, D.L. Moody was compelling people to come in. Now we see in Luke's gospel another place where Jesus extends a very special invitation to someone named Levi. He's actually Matthew, the author of the New Testament book called Matthew, but in this particular account, he was still named Levi. And here's what it says in Luke chapter 5, verse 27 to 31. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi, Matthew, got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the, not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Look at Matthew's response to Jesus' invitation to him. Immediately, he was so thrilled, so excited, so charged up that he went home and planned a huge party and invited all of his sinful friends, the people that the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day would not even let into the temple, didn't have access to God. But Matthew was so excited, he went out and held a huge banquet unashamedly and invited all of his friends for what? So that they could meet Jesus. Boy, he is such a model for all of us. He had zero training in evangelism. He'd been saved a very short period of time, did not have a degree in theology. He knew far less about the Bible than you and I do. He hadn't sat through classes and sermons. He'd been with Jesus uh, about once, it looks like, up to this point. But one thing he could do is all of us can do. He invited people to a place where they could meet Jesus. What a powerful example. All of us, every single one of us who sit here today or in this place have that capacity is to extend that invitation. It's within our grasp. We don't have to make all the explanations. We don't have to explain all the theology. What we need to do is get people close to Jesus and let him do the rest. C.S. Lewis put it this way, the church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ, to make them little Christs, as it were. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. My dear friends, it's God's will stated and demonstrated and his desire that each and every one of us who, like Matthew, have been touched and invited into the great banquet, would be ones who now, with intentionality and great vigor, invite others to join us. The doors are wide open. But Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10 these words, but before people can ask the Lord for help, they must believe in him. And before they can believe in him, they must hear about him. And for them to hear about the Lord, someone must tell them. And before someone can go and tell them, that person must be sent. 
It is written, how beautiful is the person who comes to bring good news. Friends, consider every single one of you here today, consider yourself sent by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Great Commission, go into all the world, which is a central part of our vision, is still in force. We have been sent out into this world. And the fact is, we should never assume that anybody we know understands who Jesus really is. So many people, in fact, roughly in the ministry area of this church, roughly an 11-mile radius around this church, six and a half miles in every direction around here, there's about 1.8 million people. A lot of people in this huge metro area. More than 45% of them have no religious background, no religious orientation, and have never set foot in a spiritual activity. That's a, a million people. That's a lot of folks. We only have room for a few more thousand here with this building. We need to be thinking about and praying for the gospel message to just ring forth out into our backyard right here. And if each of us do our very best, we will see these seats filled, not with just people checking out church because it's a nice this or nice that or because it's new, because they want to know Jesus, the Jesus that we know. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, the salvation of a single soul is more important than the production or preservation of all the epics and tragedies in the entire world. When we look through the eyes of Jesus, friends, we see one who saw people with compassion. Matthew 9.36 says this, that Matthew we are just talking about wrote these words, wrote them down when Jesus said them. When Jesus, he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Those million people in the towns where we live, the villages we are, going about our daily business, Jesus sees every single one of them with compassion. He wants to do this and say, I want to embrace them. And it's our arms that do the embracing. It's our words that bring and make the gospel attractive to people. Friends, I believe every single one of us know at least one or two people who don't in that, are in that category of really not knowing much more about Christianity than there's this holiday in December where you give gifts and have a tree and there's something that happened there and there's Santa Claus and, and this other thing that happens in the springtime and I don't know why they change the data, they can't make it up, this thing called Easter. That's all they know about it. We have the privilege of informing them. And when you do so and invite them to something, if they say no, that's okay. Go on to the next person that God's house may truly be filled. Blaise Pascal said it this way, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person that cannot be satisfied by anything but God. As we move to close here, friends, I want you to have that lens I want you to see your world through the lens of Scripture in that way because the power of invitation has been demonstrated over and over again. A survey done sometime back by the Institute for American Church Growth surveyed 10,000 evangelical Christians, people like you and I, to ask them what was responsible for you coming to Christ and to the church. First question, well, okay, 3% said I had a need, thought the church might be able to help me with Another 3% just walked in. Hey, that's a cool-looking building. Let me check out the stained glass. And suddenly they stuck with something. They saw 3%. 6% liked the minister. Well, that's a good thing, right? They liked the person. There's a personal connection there. One just said they visited for some kind of an event, maybe not even a church service. 5% said they liked the Bible classes. Less than 1% said they'd attended a gospel meeting. 
3% said they liked the programs. Now, I want you to think about how much energy and effort we do as a church and all churches do just for all of that stuff. But 79%, a staggering, overwhelming percentage, said they came to know Jesus and to church because a friend or relative invited them. You might have that testimony yourself if you think back. Who invited you? How did you come to know him? How did you come to church? How did you come to this church? Did somebody invite you? Probably yes. Somewhere along the way. I pray that this will strongly motivate us to see the importance of every little thing that we do makes a difference. And the invitation is powerful. But Jesus said this to those same disciples in Mark's gospel that he said all these other things to. He said that if anyone of you as disciples are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels the message translation puts it this way if any of you are embarrassed over me and the way i'm leading you when you get around your fickle and unfocused friends know that you'll be an even greater embarrassment to the son of man when he arrives in all the splendor of god his father with an army of holy angels One of the last things recorded that Jesus said was in the book of Revelation where he dictated seven letters to the apostle John on the island of Patmos. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus said in the red letters in our Bibles that have red letters in them because it's Jesus speaking, speaking first person. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Friends, I believe God is knocking on the doors of many hearts of people that you and I know, and they're just looking to understand what that means. They don't know what's happening to them. We're the ones, through our invitations, will invite them in.